Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we would see Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would hear Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would be moved to love and serve Jesus today. Amen. The Bible tells us that apart from God, we are whole. A piece of us is missing, an important piece, in fact, the crucial piece. The peace that seems to make sense of everything, the peace that makes sense of us, the peace that tells us who we are and why we do the things we do, even when we don't want to do them. The peace that tells us what we were really made to do and which way we should go so we can. The peace that points us to true meaning and purpose for our lives. A defining moral compass to guide us to self-understanding and self-fulfillment. The peace that gives us a sense of worth that won't go away. The peace that gives peace. We're missing that peace. That's what the Bible tells us. But we already know it. We know it deep down inside in a place where we don't like to go and never want to stay too long. We know that on our own we have no peace. We have passions that make us feel alive, but we know that they all so often take us to places we wish we had never been. We have accomplishments, but in achieving them, we know that we are too many times left feeling strangely hollow, unsatisfied, even empty. What is the most depressing day for most Olympic gold medalists? The day after. We have relationships, but we know that in the very midst of them, when it really counts, when we really need someone to stand with us, all too often we feel only misunderstood and alone. Trapped by our own choices, pinned in by circumstances now beyond our control, we can never seem to run, outrun this unease deep down inside. We know that we don't know God like we should. We know that we don't know God like we wish we could. We know we have plenty of struggles that make us feel hemmed in. What we try never to know and what we usually manage to outrun, even when we can't outrun our own inner restlessness, is that link between the consequences of the actions all around us 
and that feeling of God's absence inside us. It's too frightening to think that something as unknowable, as uncontrollable, as God Almighty has our missing piece in his hand. We may go to church on Sundays, but more often than we like to admit, we go more as a good accessory to our lifestyle, like a calling card to wrap up with a gift, a sign of our good upbringing, but not because he is the greatest present our heart has ever received. In a world of false hopes and broken promises, who wants to believe in Santa Claus again? In a world of belittling sport coaches, masquerading as parents, teachers, bosses, and even at times ourselves, who wants to go on an impossible quest to, to try to pry our missing wholeness from the most demanding authority in the universe? Who wants to try to get to God to love them as we are and come up short? Who wants to risk ultimate rejection? It's far easier and far more successful simply to fantasize that our missing piece is in the hands of other people. So over and over again, we find ourselves looking over that fence that hems us in, imagining the grass is greener, sweeter, freer over there in somebody else's life. If we just had that person's money, a spouse that beautiful, a spouse who was understanding, if we had gotten that promotion, if we didn't have greedy, self-centered partners to deal with, an ungrateful teenager at home, a difficult, dying parent, a nightmare ex-spouse who fights over the kids, if, 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 if we had the piece of the puzzle that other people have, then the fence would fall then we could stop running in circles. Then our lives would be sweet. Then we would know peace. Then we'd be finally happy. Distracted by the false fantasy of leading someone else's life, we rarely notice at first that there is someone else with us in our difficulties. Someone greater than our mess, someone greater than the people who have disappointed and wounded us, Someone greater than even our own poor choices. Someone even greater than ourselves. In the midst of all our fears and failures, deeds and dreams, God himself stoops down to make his presence felt. He whispers to our heart and says, I am here with you. But if we're honest, we're not so sure that's good news. Who is that? What does he want? We hope God has come as our friend, but we deeply fear that he has come as our foe. 
After all, God by definition is all good, and we know instinctively we are not. How can he not reject us? After all, so many people who have gotten to know us and said they loved us already have rejected us. We are not comforted by the news of his presence. We are disturbed, even threatened by it. The only thing we think we can do is to reject God before he can reject us. The only problem is God is not like us. Just because we reject him does not mean he rejects us. He refuses to leave us alone with our fear of him and our frustration with our lives. Even if we don't go looking for him, he comes to us and stays with us. He whispers to our heart, I am here. He holds our hand even as he holds up a mirror so we can see ourselves. And in that brief moment, we see what we are really running from. Not God's possible rejection of us, but our own actual rejection of ourselves. We hate our imperfections. We hate our failings. That's why we have New Year's resolutions, right? Even if they are the same year after year, we always hope that somehow we will be better in the future. And then we can like ourselves. Since we don't fully love ourselves as we are, how can we ever think that God would. This deep abiding fear that if we were really known, if our hearts were open to the world, we really wouldn't be good enough to be loved. That's what's driving us away from God. But then that's the whole point of Jesus' message of the gospel. Medals have to be earned. That's right and good. Love can't be earned. If it's earned, it's not love. On the cross, God made forever clear that he comes to us, knowing we fear his rejection, knowing we will reject him, knowing our rejection will drive nails in his hands. He comes anyway and stays and transforms our fears and failings into a glorious emblem of the depths of his unconditional, unchanging love for us, with us, because of the cross. I love that scene with, with Doubting Thomas. To me, nothing makes clearer the truth of the resurrection narrative. If I was going to write a fantasy about Jesus Christ coming back from the dead, the last thing I would put in it is scars. Eternal, 
imperfection. But the psalmist says his love for us is engraved on the palms of his hands. That never ceasing love embracing us even as we reject him. That is the greatest glory of the Lord who has called us into relationship with him. That's the message of the Protestant reformers, that God's love will gently draw us away from our fears, our fears of not being good enough, our fears of not measuring up, our fears of not being truly lovable. In short, all the fears that come from our wonderful American culture's obsession with performance-based identity, I am what I do and therefore, I never do enough. How very kindly and lovingly does the Lord allure all hearts to himself. And in this way, he stirs them to believe. That's the heart of Martin Luther's recovery of the message of justification by faith. Thomas Cranmer the Protestant reformer of England agrees, quote, If the profession of our faith, of the remission of our sins, enters within us into the deepness of our hearts, then it must kindle a warm fire of love in our hearts towards God and towards all others for the love of God. A fervent mind to seek and procure God's honor, will, and pleasure in all things a good will in mind to help every man and to do good unto them. In other words, a firm intent and purpose to do all that is good and leave all that is evil. That God's love will so feed our love-hungry heart that we will not but be able to love in return. And when you love, your choices your worldview, your whole life changes course. According to Cramner, if God loved humanity so much as to endure the cross so they might have the assurance of everlasting life, only those, quote, with hearts harder than stones would not be moved to return to God and love him as well. But let's be honest. Every day we are told, fresh, new are his mercies. But all too often it seems like every day fresh is our spiritual Alzheimer's. We forget what the cross means. And we slip back so easily, so easily into thinking we have to earn approval and shield others from knowing our weaknesses. A friend of mine recently asked, why is it that the human heart can't just get it, that the cross changes everything for eternity? Well, I pondered that, and the only thing I can come up with is that God is not like 
the crotchety old man when his wife turns to him and says, Do you still love me? And he says, I told you on the day we got married, I love you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Maybe the reason why we suffer spiritual Alzheimer's every day is because that's the way God made the human heart. Like manna, we need to be told every day that we are loved, that in his eyes we are special. In his eyes, our lives will be beautiful, that his love will not let us go. We need to hear the old, old story, day in, day out. Remember the notebook? Only by hearing the story did she recall how she was loved. Thomas Cramner understood that and put that message at the very heart of the communion service that we repeat every Sunday. You may remember them. It's called the comfortable words. This is the Anglican for spiritual laws, but it's not for spiritual laws. It's for spiritual promises. Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith for all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all you that travail and be heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. This is a true saying worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hear also what St. John said, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. These are powerful promises that begin with the human condition, the longing of the human heart for the missing peace that only God can provide, and ends with clarity what God giving us that missing peace cost him. The immortal one dies that we might be immortal. What greater mystery is that? What greater Christmas gift? This is the heart of Reformation Anglicanism, that Jesus loves each of us so fully and freshly each day that one day we will be as lovely as Christ himself, loving God and one another as fully and freshly each day as we are loved. Thanks be to God.